Good morning, beautiful people. How are you feeling today? I hope you woke up with a goal and a purpose. God is blessing you. So I just want to pray that over you. Alrighty, so let's get into this episode. How are you? Really, how are you feeling? Just take a moment, right? Because I don't want to rush right into the episode and you're not assessing how you're feeling, right? This is therapy uncensored. So we express how we're feeling. And, you know, anything is possible. Um, we can talk about a variety of topics. Um, I'm going to share a variety of topics that I've encountered with clients over the years. Um, and this should be a magical show. So I wanted to revisit a topic that I recorded a video for uh, a while ago. If people remember me and you follow me on Instagram um, at Miss K82. Or you follow me on Facebook, Kay Robinson. Um, or you follow my other page, which currently right now is The Godwife, but I'm changing it to Therapy Uncensored. So that it'll match what, uh, it'll be the page, the Facebook page for the podcast. And then I'm eventually going to create an Instagram handle for that as well. And there is a Twitter handle um, at thera- it's Therapy Uncensored. All right, so... Your guide to mental health. Originally, I wanted to name this the Black People's Guide to Mental Health, but then I felt like I was putting myself in a box and I really wasn't reaching everyone. And I just don't want people to feel like this is only for Black people. But you know what? I'm going to leave it as such. Black Person's Guide to Mental Health, but this is for everyone. So not just for Black people. The reason why I titled it that is that black people usually don't seek out mental health. There's a stigma surrounding it in our community. And so therefore, uh, this little mini guide in this podcast will lead people through that. All right, so first things first. Everyone who goes to therapy does not get a diagnosis, okay? There's different, there's varieties of therapy, different types of therapies that you can do. obviously if you're using your insurance for insurance purposes they need you to have a diagnosis and it's usually uh 12 sessions for each treatment plan and so after 90 days which is about 12 sessions you have to have a treatment plan and then so on and so forth however long you continue therapy every 90 days that treatment plan has to be updated and the diagnosis reflected and the criteria reflects that and it's accurate and it's basically describing the symptoms that you have that match up with the diagnosis that you were given. Now, can your diagnosis change over time? Yes, it can. You know, everyone who's someone who may be, let me use something more extreme because I tend to use the common ones like depression, anxiety. So let's say someone who has um, ADHD in childhood. Okay, may outgrow that and not have it in adulthood, or they may have developed behavioral skills to help them cope better with it. Um, so therapy may not be required, or medication may not be required. Um, obviously, if you're seeing a private therapist, unless you're using your insurance with them, they necessarily don't have to give you a diagnosis, which kind of gives you flexibility and gives them flexibility. So if you're just sad, right? Because there's sadness and then there's depression, right? And then there's being anxious and then there's anxiety, okay? Or there's having racing thoughts, but also uh, being bipolar. Or there's 
you're a very organized person and you're a type A personality and there's OCD. Okay, so there's there's certain criteria that must be met. Is everyone that's sad depressed? No. Is everyone that's anxious have anxiety? No. There's just certain criteria for a certain amount of time that you have to follow. And everyone must remember, okay, just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean you have a mental illness. You're just displaying symptoms of it, but you don't meet the criteria. Does that mean you shouldn't go for help? No, I think everybody should be in therapy at some point in their life, right? But remember, you are not your illness. So like I said, you may have symptoms of a mental health disorder, but you're not your illness. You may be sad, depressed, but you are not your illness. So do not be defined by your illness. So instead of saying you're depressed, instead of saying I have depression and that's okay, or just say I am sad and that's okay, alrighty? And sometimes changing the wording helps to cope with the illness. So what we tell ourselves affects how we behave and function on a daily basis. If you keep telling yourself every day, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm depressed. Imagine you telling yourself that every day. How do you think you're going to feel day after day after day after day after day? And I know for people that are depressed, they're like, it's not as simple as just being positive, right? But it starts with that. You start with a thought. And it can lead, you change those negative thoughts, negative cognitions into positive cognitions, right? It starts with your thoughts. It starts with your daily activities. It starts getting you into the role of being a little bit more positive and learning how to cope with your symptoms. You could be depressed, but be a functioning depressed person, right? Um, And some people who are depressed do need to be on medication because there's a chemical imbalance, which then brings me into the next part of this, which is... um, You may not be your illness, but you need to treat your illness or you need to treat whatever symptoms you're experiencing. So someone who's consistently sad may not be depressed, but if you don't take care of that sadness and that negative emotional state, it can lead into your mental health failing you. You having a mental illness, okay? All right, that includes, so taking care of your mental health includes attending your weekly therapy sessions, taking medication as prescribed, okay? So a person can't not reduce symptoms of an illness if they aren't following the recommended treatment. Even if it's a holistic approach, it's going to take commitment to keep symptoms under control, okay? So you have to take care of your mental health. Whether you're in therapy or not, you should absolutely take care of your mental health, okay? If you're not in therapy, you know, simple things of, you know, eating right, exercising, praying, meditating, yoga, taking daily walks, um, having me time, self-care, all of that goes into taking care of your mental health. Just as important as our physical health is, our mental health is important, which then brings me into the next point, which is your physical, how you feel physically affects your mental state so if you're not taking care of your body and you're not putting the right nutrients in it how do you think that's going to affect your mental state how do you think it's going to affect your emotional state right you're not taking care of yourself as a whole they're not separate components they go together right um and so if we're taking care of our physical it helps our mental if we're taking care of our mental it will help our physical um so that's that's clearly what I wanted to explain there. I hope this is making sense to people. It's like a mini crash course in mental health, guide to mental health. I'll elaborate at a later point in time. I just want people to get the gist of mental health and what is what it entails. Um, 
But you do. For my people that are, are in therapy, you do need to treat your illness. Please go to your therapy sessions. If you don't like your therapist, that is okay. That doesn't mean therapy is not bad. Listen, it's just like someone goes to a doctor, right? And you don't like the doctor, whatever it may be. You don't, you don't think they know what they're doing. Their personality doesn't match with you. They're not warm and compassionate or they're not, they seem like they're ditzy and they don't know what they're doing. They seem like they're a quack, right? You want to just stop going to the doctor, even though you're experiencing the, Ill, the symptoms of that illness or whatever is going on with you, right? You would shop around for another doctor so the same thing with therapy just because you go to one therapist and you don't like that therapist and you're not having a good experience doesn't mean any other experience with another therapist is going to be the same thing you have to shop around for a therapist please shop around for a therapist it pains me and it really pains me because i take my profession very seriously i connect with my clients on so many levels and i think that's what makes me a really great therapist is that i connect the human connection is so important to me like and i especially work with a lot of kids and kids in adolescence and the one component that i find like a lot of therapists don't do it's not only connecting with the kids, we, we make it one-sided, right? Because we believe everything the kids say and we're advocating for them. But we forget the other piece and the other person that's advocating for them the best that they can is their parents. Unless someone for real has some really jacked up parents that you witness yourself and you know for a fact they shouldn't be parents. We have to include the parents in the treatment process we have to align with them because no matter how and I'm, you know this is therapy uncensored no matter how shitty they are as a human being as a parent i have to assume that every parent wants the best for their child even the shitty ones they want the best for their child and so i'm going to even include the shitty ones in the treatment process because if i can get them on board I can help this kid. And if it's the only time that they connect and really help their kid, then I've done my job. I don't care whatever else they're failing at in life. Listen, as a parent, you have a ton of parenting fails. Ain't no perfect parent. There's no perfect parent. I can attest, I'm not a perfect parent. I have lots of parenting fails. And I'm doing the best that I can. Right? So I have to assume that someone else is doing, a parent is doing the best that they can for their kid. And so you have to, so a bad experience with one therapist doesn't mean all your experiences in therapy are going to be bad. So in retrospect, I may have been a bad therapist for a client and it happens. It's not a reason to disregard therapy altogether. All right. So you wouldn't, like I said, you wouldn't stop going to a doctor if you didn't like their style. You would seek a second opinion. So the same thing applies to therapy here. You don't like this therapist off the bat. If it's in a clinic setting, an agency setting, you can always ask for a transfer to another clinician. Okay. That's, that's your right to do so. I would say talk to the therapist that you have about it and maybe you can work through some of the issues. I've had clients who off the bat didn't like me because they didn't understand my style and they were used to another uh, style of therapy or they had bad experiences before and they were projecting how they were feeling onto me. And it wasn't until we had a discussion that then we were able to move forward in the therapy process. And then some clients, it, it just absolutely didn't work out. I wasn't for them. And you know what? They stopped therapy. I wish them the best of luck. I hope they're still getting the services they need. And I'm sorry that I couldn't help them, but I don't take that personal. I can't help everybody. 
I try to help people, but I can't help everyone. Um, all right. So like I said, the same thing applies to therapy. If you don't like your therapist, find a new one and you can keep seeking a new therapist till you find one that is helpful to your current needs. So it's not the therapy that's the issue, but the therapist. Okay. And it could be, um, let me correct that. It could be the therapy itself, depending on what style they're using and what works with you. Um, I don't use a particular style of therapy. Like there's some therapists who are very CBT. That's cognitive behavioral therapy. Boom. They know how to do that. They know how to implement that. Blah, blah, blah. And there's some people that are into digital. Okay. They could do that. Blah, blah, blah. And there's people that are into person-centered therapy and they could do that really well. And there's people that are into motivational interviewing and they do that really well. I take bits and pieces from each bit of therapy and it depends on the client that I have because every client doesn't is not going to work the same with the same type of therapy. And again, I think that's what makes me a really great therapist, but not to toot my own horn. Toot toot. Um, and so I would say, if you're really serious about your mental health, to keep seeking a new therapist so you find one that is helpful to your current needs. Um, and so it's not, like I said, I'm, like, I'm not for everyone, so I always give my clients the option to find another therapist. And I want people to get therapy. That's why I don't take it personal if I don't match up with my client. Like, that's a sign to me, especially in the clinic. Like, these aren't people that are handpicking. I've had a conversation with them like, hey, let's be a client. Like, they've been assigned to me. So if I don't match up with them off the bat or after like three months, because I try to give it like a three to six month trial, then I'm like, okay, there's other options for you. If you want another therapist, we can transfer you. Like, I don't take it personal because I want you to get to help. So my whole purpose is to encourage you to get the help. So whether it's for me or another licensed professional, I want them to get the help. I hope this is helping everyone. Um, this is my little mini guide that I've, I've written up myself. I'm not reading from some published book or pamphlet or brochure. Like I wrote this up myself. What I think would help people, a little mini crash course in mental health and getting the help that you need. So I did mention medication earlier, right? Everyone gets nervous about going to therapy because they feel like they're going to get put on medication. But let me, let me explain to you this way. When you go to the doctor, say you go there for an upset stomach, whatever it is, how many times do you get put on medication? What do they have to do before you get put on medication? So the same thing applies when you go to therapy. First of all, I don't prescribe medication. Those are for the doctors of my uh, field. So either a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So they're doctors in that field. Doctor of psychology, uh, psychiatrist is, yeah, doctor of, you know, mental health disorders. And they prescribe medication. Some psychiatrists do do therapy. So there's, it's twofold. And, you know, psychologists do therapy as well. Um, I don't prescribe medication. I just do straight up therapy. I don't know how I would feel about prescribing medication to people. I think that would be a little, they get paid really good money. I'm going to just say, but you know, had I known, had I known, um, I would have gone that route, but <laughs> it's all right. So like I said, medication isn't necessary. So it's just like if you go to the doctor and they don't oftentimes prescribe you medication, they may, and when I say prescribe, they don't write a prescription for you. They may say, if you have Tylenol at home, go home and take two Tylenol. Or um, continue whatever regimen you were doing. It's just got to run. Like all of us, when we get like a little viral infection, infection, and they're like, it just has to run through your system and you will be okay. And once it runs, like, and you're like, but you're not going to give me like antibiotics. No, antibiotics is for like bacterial infection. And you're like, 
Okay. So same thing with therapy, right? They have to end before you prescribe any medication, right? What do they need? Your weight, your age, any medications, current medications that you're taking, uh, your symptoms, um, a whole bunch of other stuff goes into your active, your active lifestyle, the level of activity in your lifestyle. Um, so again, being in therapy does not, it's not the equivalent of being on medication. You can be in therapy forevermore and not be on medication. So I will give you an example. You know, I know a few uh, people, clients, and they've been in therapy and these are people who are adults. I'm not going to say kids. Well, I've had some kids. They have been in therapy. I can think of one that's been in therapy for like 20 years. Wasn't until that person like started seeing me was, and when I say 20 years, I mean like on and off 20 years, um, wasn't a consistent 20 years. That's a lot to be dealing with. Um, it wasn't until they started seeing me that they considered medication and take medication. Um, even with the kids, their parents may initially come in and be like, nope, I don't think they should be on medication, blah, blah, blah. I'm not dealing with that. I don't want them to be on medication. I don't think it's good. And then through the process, they reconsider and say, let's do a trial basis. Listen, you are in control of how this goes. No one else is in control but you. You are in control of how this goes. So if you don't want medication, you don't got to do it. If you feel like it would be helpful, then do so. The, the option is yours. But me as a therapist, I present you all the options and then you can decide. I have some clients that come in and like right off the bat, yo, I'm getting the medication. I want the medication. I need the medication. I need the drugs. Give me the drugs. Right? And we do therapy and they're okay. And there's others like, no, I don't want to be on medication. I don't, I don't know what it's going to do. Or the parents like, I don't know. I don't want my kids to be sleepy in school. Or I don't want my kids to lose their creativity or, or lose their personality. All of that. And I have to respect that. I try, if I really think their kids should be on medication, I really do try to encourage them. But I also respect that, again, this goes back to them being the best parent and doing the best job for their child. It's up to them, you know? I can't force them to do for their child. I can only control what I do for my child. So I can't tell somebody, put your kid on medication. They got to deal with that at home. Whatever side effects that go along with that medication, I'm only with their kid once a week for 45 minutes, maybe an hour if it's a family session, okay? Um, looking for a way to start your podcast or boost your existing podcast download anchor app today available in the app store or in google play for all for your iphone and for your android users anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. The tools they provide allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it'll be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple, Google, and many more. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That means if you have less than five listeners, you can make money from your podcast. Again, download Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. What are you waiting for? Download the app right now. Available in the App Store or Google Play. Again, explore all options with a trained professional and decide what is right for you. You may start off therapy 
and it's just straight therapy without medication and you're working on developing life skills coping skills how to function with your mental illness and some people right off the bat um they may need medication especially if they're in psychosis um and they may be a danger to themselves or if they were just recently hospitalized and prescribed medication they may need to start off their therapy with medication um but when it comes to kids i you know their parents are their biggest advocates or i have to assume that and trust that and i gotta go i have to respect where the parents want to go with their kids i can encourage them but i respect their they're the final decision um I will say if you decide on medication, just give it 30 to 90 days and then discuss any side effects with your clinician and or your psychiatrist. So if you're on medication and the person you're seeing in therapy is not like a psychologist or a psychiatrist and they're just a regular licensed clinician, like a licensed um, mental, so uh, not mental, licensed master social worker, a licensed clinical social worker or like me, I'm a licensed mental health counselor or anything like that. Um, they're not going to prescribe you medica- medication, but if you're seeing them, you need to report your symptoms to them, which then they can report to the psychiatrist. And then you have your appointments with the psychiatrist, which every time you see the psychiatrist, it's like 10, 20 minutes tops. And you discuss, you know, the effects of the medication, how you're feeling on it, any new symptoms, if they need to increase your dose, lower your dose, change in the medication. Um, sometimes people go back and forth between medications um i know there's like different medications for adhd some people respond well to ritalin and then others need to be on stratera or um adderall or whatever it may be um so everyone responds differently to that and you have to be mindful of how you're going to respond to that and never never ever please 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 do me a huge favor and this is even with this regular physical uh taking care of yourself physically never ever reduce increase the dose or stop medication without consulting a professional please if there are no and i say this as in terms of like you're not experiencing side effects but you just don't want to take the medication or you feel like it's not working well enough or you feel like it's team too much obviously if it's making you like really really sick okay or you're like having bleeding or something like that then i would say stop the medication but this is why you discuss the side effects with your psychiatrist and you give them all of your personal information your your physical health your physical so that they know when they prescribe you the medication this is how you may react to it um, obviously if it's causing you like really making you like sick, then I would say stop it and consult your doctor, consult your doctor and go in and, and talk to them, um, and speak to your therapist and the psychiatrist, but please with, don't do it on your own just because you don't want to take the medication. So you're just going to reduce the dosage or you feel like you're doing okay on it or you're increasing the dosage because you feel like the dosage you're on right now is not working. Um, remember it takes a while for the effects of the me- for medication to take effect, um, especially with mental health medication. Like it's not like your Tylenol, which works right away, or your Motrin, which works right away, or pain medication, which works right away because it's going to different parts. Of- the brain is a complex organ in our body, and it controls everything. So it takes a little while for that ab- to absorb, um, and for you to truly notice the effects. 
of that medication. For some people, it's if depending on the illness you have, your medication is going to work right away. But we want to see how it's working over time. So today it might be working well, and then tomorrow it doesn't work well. And then it works well for like two weeks, and then you're feeling like... So, and then those are the things that you report to your therapist or to a psychiatrist. Um, and the same thing goes goes for the parents that, you know, are listening. Same thing with your kids. Unless it's like making them, like you're seeing symptoms like they, they're turning blue or they're breathing slowing down. Like, for example, I think I'm allergic to aspirin. I really don't take aspirin because anytime I take it, it feels like my whole chest is opening up. Now, would I continue taking that, knowing I'm having that feeling? No, but I would consult my doctor upon stopping it. So if you decide to stop the medication, please consult your doctor like right away as ASAP and let them know what is happening. If you can't get in contact with your psychiatrist, then contact your therapist. They work hand in hand, and so if one doesn't do what you need them to do, then speak to the other one. Um... Alrighty, so this brings me to my next point. Um, we have like two more points to address in this podcast today. I think we're doing good on timing. Okay, so another thing that happens when you're in therapy, because a lot of people don't know what to expect. Um, and I'm not telling you what to expect your first time. This is like overall therapy. I, I will have an episode of what you should expect your first time. Because seeing a therapist for the first time is a two-step process. But I'm not going to get into that today because that's a conversation for another time. And that's in greater detail than what I'm getting into now. Right now, it's like little tidbits for people that may already be in therapy or are, have questions about therapy. Um, okay, so... Remember, goals are important to therapy. So if you do decide to attend therapy, please create goals to work on for 90 days. So going back to my example of if you're utilizing your insurance for mental health services, you have to have a treatment plan. You and your therapist need to sit down together and do a treatment plan. If you are a parent, you need to sit down with a therapist and do the treatment plan with your child. The therapist can do a treatment plan with your child if they're of age and they see comp- they seem competent enough to know what goals they need to set. Like with adolescents, I give them a little bit more free reign to do their treatment plan because they can tell me exactly what they need to work on. Someone that's a little younger, it has to be a collaborative effort between me, mom, and them. And then someone way younger than like five, obviously it's the parents. Like this is what I need. I need uh, Sarah to be able to sit still for five minutes when I'm cooking dinner. And so we, how do we put that into word in, in a treatment plan, right? Okay, so again, treatment plans are done every 90 days. Okay, when you first initially see a therapist, and then I'll elaborate this on in another uh, episode. When you initially see a therapist, they admit you into the system 30 days later if you're going to continue therapy. Okay, and then soon after that is your initial treatment plan. And you have to do that. So what this means, what is a treatment plan? This means objectives. See, these are measurable outcomes. I'm speaking a little scientifically. So for all my little science nerds or people that love to learn, okay, they love to gain knowledge, measurable outcomes. Your objectives have to be measurable, which say, for example, if the problem is uh, Noah 
is having issues sleeping through the night, right? Problem is Noah wakes up in the middle of the night, whatever the problem may be. Okay, then the goal would be for Noah to sleep through the night, right? So then objective would be Noah will uh, sleep through the night at least three nights per week for the next 90 days. See, that's a measurable outcome, right? So we can measure that. So over the next 90 days, was Noah able to sleep through the night for at least three days? Now, if he did at least three days, then that's good. If he does more than three days, then we know that the objective is really working. If he's doing less than three days, we need to revise it and see why that wasn't working okay so the objectives are reviewed and updated right so every 90 days objectives are reviewed and updated and it's a collaborative effort so your therapist may have goals for you that you don't realize need to you you don't realize you need to work towards and you may have goals you need to work towards after examining and exploring the problem so together the clinician and client decide what goals need to be worked on at the moment, and it can be one to two goals depending on intensity of therapy. Again, every 90 days, these objectives are reviewed and revised. And the client can keep the same objectives or create new ones if the others have been resolved or aren't a current issue. Okay, so obviously, if you're resolving your objectives and you're able to stick to it, then we can just update it and then at some point we can just resolve it and just say okay we resolved this now what's another objective what's something else we need to work on remember there's different things you're going to have to work on at different times and the objectives don't stay with you forever so if you're in therapy for a year your objectives may change every three months they may stay consistent right I've, I've had clients where for like a whole year we were working on the same three objectives it wasn't until a year later that some change was I was witnessing some change where I was like, all right, we can resolve this one. And now let's add in something new that's related to that problem, right? So it kind of goes with the other objective, but it's like another level of this objective that we're working on. We're building skills for people when it comes to mental health. It's all about coping and how you relate to things around you. Mental health is so complex because you know why it's so complex? Because mental health is not as easy as hooking someone up to a machine and you... And seeing, well, I mean, you could do brain scans, but seeing how someone's mind exactly works. Brain scans give you the show you brain activity, but there's not showing exactly how someone's thinking, feeling, all of that stuff. Or if someone, if someone comes in with chest pains, you would hook them up to EKG and do and monitor, you know, their heart rate, their pulse, all of that stuff. If someone says they have a stomach ache, you know, or anything like that, taking a sample of whether it's your urine or your, um, whatever, or, you know, doing a colonoscopy to check inside your intestines. Mental health is nothing like that. It's all self-report. And so we're working towards people to be honest with themselves, alrighty? So some people may be like, I'm sad, but they don't realize the, the intensity of their sadness, which is really, they're depressed, right? It's beyond sadness at this point. You're depressed, okay? If someone is very meticulous about things, is it, is it in really being a, a neat freak or are they experiencing OD? OCD as it's limiting them, limiting them in other aspects of their life. The whole thing with mental health is and diagnosis is, is how is it how is it affecting their functioning other aspects of their life? If it's really not affecting you can function or so you think you can, then you probably don't have a mental illness. You might just have a, a mental health issue that doesn't really need to be diagnosed, and you just gotta probably change a couple of things in your life. All right, moving on. The last point I want to make, because this was a question that was asked to me um, as I was talking to someone 
over like months and months and months and months and months ago. And they asked me, so how, so if your loved one is, the question was, if your loved one is experiencing a mental health issue, alrighty, how do you talk to them about this issue? All right, so your loved one is experiencing a mental health issue, right? Okay, that's where we're at. And, or from your perspective, your loved one has a mental health issue. So it's either A, they're aware that they have the issue, or on the flip side, they're not aware, they're not aware that they have the issue. You notice they have the issue. How are you helping them to help themselves deal with this issue, right? How do you talk to them about it? Now, the first part of that is easy because obviously if someone has a mental health issue and they're aware of it, it's kind of easy to work with that because they're probably going to be willing to go into therapy and work with a therapist and be very open-minded. The latter part of it is you notice it, but they don't have awareness yet or they're kind of blowing it off. They're in denial. It's kind of hard to work with, get that person to actually admit that they have an issue going on and then to get them into therapy because they're going to be very resistant to whatever is happening, which is normal. Resistance in therapy is normal. People freak out and be like, how do you, people always ask me, well, how do you deal with someone that's being defined in therapy and resistant? Listen, I don't mind if someone's being resistant. I don't mind if someone's being um, defined. What bothers me and I keep telling people is I don't care what mental health issue people going on, especially the kids. I don't tolerate disrespect and lack of structure. I'm all about being respectful. You need discipline and you need structure. When we have those three things, I don't care how resistant you are because that's part of your illness. That's part of the mental health issue. You're going to be resistant at some point because you don't want to hear what you don't want to be aware of what's happening around you. Even the most open person at some point is going to have their time when they're resistant to therapy. Um, And especially if you're a parent of a kid that's in therapy, you're going to be really because that's your kid. and You're protecting them. And sometimes as parents, we're in denial about what's happening with our kids. I can attest to that. I'm sometimes in denial about what's happening with my kid until someone who's not in the household points it out to me and then I'm like oh well that makes sense um all right so how do you talk to a loved one about their mental health issue all right so this is a tough one all right so it's difficult to get anyone who is not actively seeking therapy or in therapy to acknowledge they need professional help so how would you tell someone with a physical illness to see a doctor how would you get anyone with a physical illness to see the doctor someone that's been vomiting or someone that's looking pale how would you get them to see the doctor you would just literally describe the symptoms to them man you're looking really flush lately you lost you lost a lot of weight i mean i know you've been are you exercising, eating right? What's going on? If someone says, nah, man, I've been really stressed out. Like, my hair is coming out. I don't know. I've been eating, but I throw everything back up. You would recommend them to go to the doctor, right? You would never hesitate. You would tell them to go to the doctor. So why do we hesitate when it comes to mental health? If someone's telling you, yo, I feel really stressed out. Like, I'm crying all the time. I'm sad all the time. I'm anxious. I'm angry. I'm irritable. Yo, I'm hearing things. I'm seeing things. Why wouldn't you tell them to go to therapy? It's literally the same thing. They can even start with a general physician and get a referral from there. Sometimes that makes it a little easier because it kind of softens the whole let's go to therapy because you got one professional, a physician, telling you that, you know what? I'm noticing over time you've seen me that this is what is happening. So they might accept it if they go to their general physician first as opposed to going straight off the bat and going to... um. To, to therapy. 
okay? So the brain is no different. And so while it's all like, again, self-reported, we know when someone is not well mentally or physically. So just like you would ask, is everything okay when you notice your daughter losing a lot of weight? You must be able to address the same when you see your son angry, lacking sleep, or increased drinking. So one question that invites people to share and removes the awkwardness is, how are you feeling? So mental health is tricky and most people don't like the feeling of vulnerability. And exposure that comes with sharing their thoughts and feelings. So how can you as a family member talk to your family member about their mental health symptoms? First, remember, you're not the professional. Okay, so you cannot approach them with any diagnosis. Even if they have a diagnosis, you cannot start off the convo that way. For example, do not say, hey, you look depressed. Is everything okay? Rather say, how are you feeling? So let them answer. Okay, and then you follow that. Right. I notice you seem sad and angry more than usual. Let them answer again. Okay. If they don't respond, they heard you. They respond soon afterwards or follow up later when they have processed what you have said. Um, most mental, most with mental illness don't want the rest of the world to know they are not mentally well or there's an issue going on. So for anyone to notice scares them. And so they go on defense. And it's not your fault. So never take it personally when you point out symptoms to people and they respond back defensively like don't take that on that's them that's totally on them that's something they were triggered in that moment so you don't take that on personally you say okay all right i gotta respect your space and let's give them time give them time and the time may take a while for them now obviously if you're seeing them like being in psychosis where they're like you know maybe cutting themselves and they're talking about i'm hearing things and i'm gonna you know sleepwalking but they got like a knife in their hand or something like that or whatever it may be like they're falling you know then that's when it becomes um urgent okay so you always are doing the right thing if you ask someone how they're feeling that's one way to connect with people um okay and that registers with them that someone cares even if their response is less than nice that's it so talk to them about their symptoms or behavior and keep it at that express concern for them not their diagnosis no one wants to be seen as an illness whether physical or mental no one wants to be seen as a cancer patient and they got cancer that's 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 the truth okay and you wouldn't tell, like I said, you wouldn't tell a cancer person, someone with cancer, you've noticed that they have cancer because you wouldn't know if they did or didn't. But you would say, I noticed you lost weight or you just don't seem like yourself lately. So how are you feeling? How can I help you is another great one to use. Listen, all you can do is try and connect with them. And if that fails, you try. Right? Um, we can't make someone see what we see. We can only encourage them to get the help they need by providing support. And so, so obviously, if someone is in crisis, it's not a conversation to be had in this manner. And if someone is self-harming and suicidal, they need to seek help immediately. And if they are not at any risk of harm, they need to seek... If they are at any harm, risk of harm, they need to seek professional attention now. So lastly, just tell them how it's affecting not only them, but the family unit. And if you have kids, use the kids as leverage. Someone with a substance abuse problem will not see how it's affecting anyone, including them. So tell them what you see, but leave the diagnosis out of it. The best thing you could do is not diagnose them as you talk to them. It's also not a one-time conversation. It may take several conversations to get them to open up. If you care, express your feelings and concern with them. If they are a danger to you and your family, you can care for them from a distance. I hope that answers some of the questions people may have regarding mental health and what is the whole process. Um, Because not everyone goes to therapy. Everyone sees a doctor at some point in their life. And frequently, because every year we have regular physicals. 
Um, but we don't do regular mental health assessments, so no one really knows the process of that unless you feel like it. And you know what? I really think we should do, when people go and get their physicals, we also need to do uh, mental health assessments. If it's not yearly, like every three to six months, depending on what you, the results from your mental health assessment. So if it keeps showing up that you might be concerned then you probably should get your mental health assessments more frequently than others. If not, then I would say yearly. Because there's a lot of stuff that I'm seeing that's going on and people are not taking care of their health. I hope that helps all the black people listening to my podcast. Because the black people's person's guide, people's guide. Gotta figure out what the word for that. The black people's guide to mental health. Because, you know, black people, there's a stigma, you know. Um, I'm in the Caribbean culture, right? I'm black, but my ethnicity is Caribbean, Okay. And uh, there's a big stigma there when it comes to mental health. But I'll get into that another time. And I'm really trying to peel back the layers of why there's such a stigma. Um, But yeah, we'll get into that another time. So tune in for another talk, therapy, uncensored topic. Um, If you have any topics you want to share, you would like me to talk about, um, let me know. And I will develop it. I will put it into consideration and probably develop it into an episode. It helps me initially. Um, All right. So everyone have a good one. I love you all. Stay beautiful. Thanks for listening. Bye.